Good morning. Welcome to the Unitarian Church of Edmonton. I'm Brian Kiley. I'm the minister. Those of you who are regulars may note that I've chosen not to wear a stole today because I have nothing to go with the green and gold of the Edmonton Eskimos (laughs) who are playing in the Eastern Final starting at 11 o'clock. But thanks to the glories of PVR machines, I won't be doing a half-hour service and running out the door. But if you hear anything, don't tell me. (laughs) As Unitarian Universalists, we are bound together not by a common set of beliefs, but by our promise to support one another in our individual searches for truth and meaning, guided by our principles and drawing from many different sources of inspiration. We do hope that you feel welcome here. Whatever you believe or don't believe, whoever you love, however you understand the word family, whatever your age, race, or ability, You are welcome here. We may get that welcome wrong sometimes, but we mean well, and when you tell us, we'll try and get it right. We extend a special welcome to any visitors this morning, and we invite you to join us after the service for coffee and conversation. And there are some events happening this afternoon that you will hear about in the announcements. We begin our gathering acknowledging that we are located on Treaty 6 territory. We respect the histories, languages, and cultures of First Nations, Métis, Inuit, and all First Peoples of Canada, whose presence continue to enrich our community. Our community extends beyond Sunday mornings, so please read the announcements in your order of service. We also have a monthly newsletter available in print, out front, and online. And you can join our virtual community on Facebook and Twitter to keep up to date on happenings in our extended community. In a service on social media, I especially had to read that part. Now, let us prepare our hearts and minds for worship service. Let us let go, just for a time, of the everyday world with its joys and its burdens. We'll silence our phones and other devices, please, and we'll create a space in this hour to simply be together. In the spirit of life and love, we gather. In order to focus ourselves to the service, I invite you to an opening time of reflection as we listen to a prelude that marks the start of our service. Hey, 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 hey,
We bid you welcome, who come with weary spirit, seeking rest, who come with troubles that are too much with you, who come hurt and afraid. We bid you welcome those who come with hope in your heart, who come with anticipation in your step, who come proud and joyous. We bid you welcome who are seekers of a new faith, who come to probe and explore, who come to learn. We bid you welcome who enter this hall as a homecoming, who have found here room for your spirit and who find in this people a family. Whoever you are, whatever you are, wherever you are on your journey, we bid you welcome. I'd like to invite Rosemary Falconer to come forward and light our chalice today because it was Rosemary's birthday yesterday. Thank you. Happy birthday. And in the spirit of the service concept today, I wouldn't have known that if it wasn't for that Facebook birthday reminder thing. Would you please join in singing hymn number one? Making a congregation a safe space is the most important thing we can do. I was troubled to see another news headline about clergy abuse and so on and so forth. So this song is a, is a blessing, a, a creating of a safe circle in which we can worship. It's hymn number one, May Nothing Evil Cross the Door, and I invite you to stand and sing as you're willing or able. I'd like to invite the young people to come forward and light their chalice, and when they are 
ready to depart, we will sing Guide You on Your Way. This month we're looking at the idea of finding each other in different ways. Although today is a social media connection, it's still about finding each other. And so I'd like to invite you to join me in my favorite shared reading. You'll find it at the back of the hymn book, number 468. It's one I've used often over the last 30 years. If you would read the italicized portions, number 468. We need one another when we mourn and would be comforted. We need one another when we are in trouble and afraid. We need one another when we are in despair, in temptation, and need to be recalled to our best selves again. We need one another when we do accomplish some great purpose and cannot do it alone. We need one another in the hour of success when we look for someone to share our triumphs. We need one another in the hour of defeat, when with encouragement we might endure and stand again. We need one another when we come to die and would have gentle hands prepare us for the journey. Our community is entirely self-governing and self-supporting. And one of the privileges of our free church tradition is to provide all the financial support for our many ministries from among ourselves. Generosity, therefore, is a spiritual value and a sign of commitment. In addition to supporting this church community, we also make a monthly commitment beyond our walls. One half of the unidentified cash, the loose cash that's received, is given to an outside organization. Some of them are local, some national, and some are international. And for this month of November, as we've done for many, many years, we are collecting for the CBC Turkey Drive. So you're invited to participate in this celebration of giving as the ushers accept the offering. We invite you to give generously.
As we receive the offering, would you please join in singing the little couplet in your order of service from you I receive. We thank you for your generosity. I'd like to invite you into a time of meditation today. No, do I want to do that yet? Yes, I do. Okay, just checking. I'd like to invite you into a time of silent meditation and reflection today. And do this first by inviting you to remain seated and sing hymn number 123, Spirit of Life. for these words of reflection by Nancy Wood. It is our quiet time. We do not speak because the voices are within us. It is our quiet time. We do not walk because the earth is all within us. It is our quiet time. We do not dance because the music has lifted us to a place where the spirit is. It is our quiet time. We rest with all of nature. We wake when the seven sisters wake. We greet them in the sky over the opening of the kiva. I invite you to spend a few minutes alone with your thoughts and your spirit.
reading I'd like to share. When she saw this sermon title in the order of service or in the newsletter, one of our newer members, Oksana Atwood, uh, wrote me about, well, it'll become clear why she wrote it when I get to the sermon portion, but because we had a shared interest in this topic of social media, connection, community, and what have you. And Oksana would be here to read it, except she came up with a pretty weak excuse of having had a baby an hour ago. (laughs) So congratulations, Grandma. Pass on our best wishes. Here are a few miscellaneous ideas about technology and communication, she writes. And you'll find out the format or the structure of why she's hearing these comments later. What is direct communication? Do we mean face-to-face communication? What are the other methods we communicate? At any given moment, we're communicating not just with technology, but with our facial expressions, our body, our participation, our presence, through art and music, and the things we do for the loved ones in our lives. Our congregation extends past the people present in the room. It includes those who are ailing, those whose finances prohibit them from leaving home, those with physical mobility issues, those who are struggling with depression and anxiety and just can't face people, and many more whose stories we can't possibly understand. For this and many other reasons, the church communicates in a variety of ways. The newsletters, social media, word of mouth, the comments written down in the Joys and Sorrows book, the donations that are given. We are all communicating in the ways we choose and the ways we can. The same thought applies to connection in a social media world. A young family can immediately share live video or regular photos of their growing children with families living across Canada or overseas. Traveling in a hostel and the person next to me is eating their cereal on a video chat line on their phone with their friend who is eating supper in Germany. Both are sharing about their day with a continuous automatic translation without having to worry about finding a payphone or using a phone card or counting their minutes. An isolated oil and gas worker is in need of mental health support and doesn't have the time off or the benefits to go to a walk-in clinic. And even if he did, he wouldn't want HR or his family or friends to find out. So instead, he uses an online counseling service. A person in a rural community where everybody knows everybody has been struggling with drinking problems and drug use completely un- and is completely unlikely to turn to a neighbor or family member for support. The person connects with others in an online forum and gets immediate non-judgmental support as well as links to resources they can access in their or other communities. Kids and adults who are nonverbal can use a phone or tablet to select images and emojis to describe their feelings and moods. 
Every morning I can drink my coffee and get inspiration from friends' lives around the world, knowing that this would never happen directly or even on the phone. Like that guy I worked with at Dairy Queen, now a monk and an academic scholar traveling the world and giving fascinating Facebook updates. My former university teachers and mentors, I can continue to follow their work to support them and in turn be supportive. My desire to make changes and connect with others of similar values. I can find them in groups and planning events faster than ever before. Planning a funeral and need to reach out to a wide variety of people I didn't know, but our loved one did. Facebook might be the only way. Traveling to the mountains, but being unsure of the roads. AMA, digital highway maps, and online discussions provide up-to-the-minute road conditions, cameras, and personal updates to keep you safe on your journey. I'd like to invite you to join in a community song, hymn number 323, Break Not the Circle. 323. Thank you. Well, this month's theme is finding each other. When one offers a phrase like that, most of us conjure up a setting where there's a face-to-face encounter. Perhaps it's a coffee date or a dinner party. Or maybe if we're thinking in terms of this congregation, it's the Sunday service or coffee hour or a potluck lunch or some shared task. The point is that many, if not most people, will first think of a setting where people are actually physically together. That's great if you're a social extrovert, or at least comfortable in a crowd. Someone who likes large or small group settings. But that doesn't work for everyone. My late mother despised leaving her home unless she was on my dad's arm. She was uncomfortable in crowds, very uncomfortable among strangers. The only people she saw regularly were family members, 
although she had a lot of them. But she did keep in touch with old friends by phone, tucked into the little telephone nook just off our staircase, surrounded by all of our outdoor coats like warm quilts in a soundproof room, using an old Bakelite rotary phone, one that was so old that it had one of those cloth-wrapped straight cords, not even the curly extension cords we have had back when we had wall phones. I wonder how my mom would have fared in the social media age. I really, I really am curious about that. You see, she wasn't shy, not with her well-considered opinions. She just didn't care for speaking them aloud, even in a small group. But maybe if she had been able to connect without leaving home, maybe that would have suited her better. When she lived, there were few other options for finding each other. You could visit, telephone, or write a letter. If you disliked parties, mostly your contact was one-to-one. The one exception in her life was she loved going every two weeks, walking a block, up to Pat Coyle, her hairdresser. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that. It suits some people extremely well. But if you don't have a large family, how do you establish those contacts? Making connections, finding one another is seldom terribly easy, especially if one is shy or cautious. For some people, the world of social media has opened avenues for them, whether it's chat rooms or just shared information, whether it's Facebook feeds or Twitter feeds or Instagram. I love the fact that my kids have no interest in Facebook. They do Instagram and tell me to stay off it. There are lots of problems with these kinds of online connections, of course. There are trolls and people who use their anonymity for ill purpose. But then that happens out in the real world, too. And there are a lot of good possibilities in social media. Oksana Atwood's thoughts closely align with my own. She's the one who wrote the reading. She said in her introduction to that reading, the use of technology to support each other is the focus of my thesis and current work towards a master's in psychotherapy and spirituality. Our cohort has had many discussions around the methods we use to provide counseling and therefore the ways we communicate. Most people, brackets, of a certain age, ahem, brackets, assert that there's nothing better than face-to-face communication especially in this age of digital isolation. Now, while I agree with the benefits of face-to-face communication, I am a strong advocate for the use of technology as well. She continues, My thesis focuses on providing text-based mental health support through email, apps, text messaging, and online chat. I think many of the reasons for this type of support crosses over how we support each other in church. Now, people have also shared with me their personal reasons for seeking help through technology in communication. Clients wanting to avoid the stigma of being seen going into counseling. For a person who is depressed or has anxiety or both, the process of getting out of bed, getting dressed, driving through traffic, finding parking, facing a receptionist, and then sitting with a stranger to discuss their most personal issues can be overwhelming. 
Youth want, need, support at all hours, not just within working and waking hours. Therefore, services like kidshelpline.org offer resources and online chat to support for a variety of issues 24 hours a day with trained professionals. That's the end of her piece. In a non-counseling setting, I've watched my own family stay connected with friends and family through their screens. They seem able to build and maintain relationships. And I'm sure we've all laughed at the idea of three kids sitting on three couches texting one another. It happens in my house, and yet it builds strong connections. Not ones that I understand, but it works for them. And guess what? I'm not in charge of the world anymore. However, technological counseling is a very hot topic in the psychotherapeutic world. An article on the pros and cons of online counseling from Australia's Mental Health Academy offers a fair shake to both sides and then lists the cons as online counseling has also been criticized in terms of its absence of verbal and nonverbal cues, difficulties in maintaining confidentiality and security, overall effectiveness, technological difficulties, and its limits in being able to guarantee the therapist's credibility. End quote. And these are fair points, all. If a counselor has never had prior contact with a client except online and in text, it can be difficult to pick up a person's subtle cues. I'm sure we've all had the experience of implying emotion into an email or a text where maybe none existed and misreading the intent. It's very easy to do. Not that I ever do it, of course. I always, you know. But working with text and that kind of work communication is almost a different language. And so it's challenging. But with, as with most linguistic barriers, there might be ways to develop a solution. And certainly with technology these days, we have Skype and FaceTime and all of those, so that we can actually have the, the at least face-to-face on-screen contact with another person, and that might help. When real-life relationship does exist, however, technological communication can provide the additional benefits of immediacy and efficiency. I don't wish to suggest that distance connection is better than traditional methods, but when face-to-face counseling or just support for people you love is not possible, electronic communications and connections can create a kind of community that is supportive and helpful. It might look different from the one we've had. It might have different pluses and minuses, but it is still a community. The second opposing point concerns confidentiality. Online conversations certainly are hackable, like everything else, and so a confidentiality worry is legitimate. Some people are intensely anxious about their privacy. But that doesn't apply to everyone. I mean, go ahead and hack my conversations. You'll be bored to death. Look at what gets posted on social media on any given day. There are clearly some people who aren't deeply concerned about privacy. The computer messaging is hackable and that some people have a high concern for privacy is not sufficient reason to keep from those to keep those who have lower concerns and different kinds of needs from accessing that form of technology. It just means that those people who have 
high confidentiality needs need to approach and find that face-to-face connection. The third concern is the overall effectiveness of online counseling. That's an interesting point. Um, It seems, when I did a little bit of research, not extensive, that there really hasn't been extensive research done into the effectiveness of online counseling to really answer that question fully yet. But as a pastoral care provider, not a therapist, for 30 years, I've never quite figured out how to evaluate the effectiveness of an interaction anyway. Is it measured in gratitude? Is it measured in someone visibly changing their life? Is it measured in a reduction of anxiety? A resolution of diagnosable symptoms? Some of all of that? I have no idea. I never know when anybody leaves my office if what the conversation we've had has been helpful or not. Sometimes they tell me later. Usually that's only the ones who found it helpful. It's going to be a while before effectiveness of that form of connection, community, and therapy can be evaluated. Market a concern, but not really a reason to try and stop the unstoppable force of social media. Technological difficulties strike me as a bit of a red herring concern. Anyone who has ever canceled an appointment on short notice or had one canceled on them or simply did not show up knows that technological difficulties happen in many forms. Anyone able to use a computer or a smartphone understands that reality. It can be frustrating, but it's not the end of the world. And no one is suggesting replacing office visits because sometimes it's too hard to get there on time. And finally, there's a concern that the Internet may not be able to guarantee therapist credibility. It is, after all, a largely unregulated medium. You can't regulate where people go for help, however. I might ask a neighbor or a friend for advice, or a bartender, for that matter. No credentialing body can stop my poor choices of where I seek advice. All they can do is regulate the class of trained professionals. I jump onto Google and start looking for help of some kind, and it's up to me to decide whether I want to listen to a movie star or seek a legitimate professional. We can regulate online support systems. We just can't regulate people into making sure they access regulated online systems. That's never going to happen. Usually those people who won't turn to professionals are looking just for someone who will validate their own unhealthy position. That happens in the real world just as much as in the online world. We've had similar discussions about the value of online communication in the ministry, although resistance seems to have faded over the last decade or so. Eight years ago, I traveled to Boston for some business related to the International Council of Unitarians and Universalists. And one evening, I received a direct message from a congregant who did not know I was away and who was going through a relationship crisis. We went back and forth over an hour or so intermittently by text. This person wasn't alone, could not speak on the phone, couldn't even text consistently. But over that hour or hour and a half, things got resolved enough for that night, and the person then figured out a way through it. 
I asked that person about it when I got home, and I was told that the level of intervention was just right. It was, as I said, late at night. The person was not alone and couldn't talk, but could get some reassurance from someone they trusted, even though that person wasn't in the same city or even in the same country. What was important was finding someone to connect with in the night who could respond when it was most needed. The second incident happened about six or eight months later with a lesbian couple who texted me from a bus on their way home after church. It was a verbal harasser sitting across from them. They didn't know how to respond. We went back and forth by text about what to do, and in the end, they simply got off and waited for the next bus. And again, later, I was told that it was exactly the right kind of intervention, just another opinion when they needed it. I told colleagues about these incidents at a minister's retreat a few weeks later. It was, as I said, eight years ago. And some of my colleagues still didn't have cell phones and certainly had not figured out the text function. There was skepticism, sometimes quite heated, that it has to be face-to-face. You have to be able to touch hands and all of those things. It's different now. My colleagues are younger Thereof, a switched-on and tuned-in generation. God, that was such a 60s phrase. Um, Yeah, they got devices, and they know how to use them much better than I do. Uh, So it's different. And they've learned that online connections can enhance their work. So all of this looking on the counseling side has really just been a dive into one example of social media connections and community. And if there's any conclusion that I would lift up, it's that the different people find each other in different ways. Social media offers another, it says way, but really another set of ways of connecting with people. And despite the problems, isn't having more options a good thing? When the phone first developed, there was a fear that it would disrupt social interaction in general and conversation in particular, and in many ways, it did. Communication got faster, even though people couldn't look each other in their eye when they were talking. It got more efficient and probably less formal. Some people celebrated that change, some grieved. It was the same with television, a one-way form of communication to be sure, but it changed our culture. And now it's computers and smartphones and whatever's going to come next. Has it? Will it change the world? Well, of course it has. And it will continue to do so. Culture evolves. Always. The music I picked today was all kind of jangly and a little bit discordant because evolution is jangly and discordant. It happens. There will always be people who are scared of any of these evolutionary changes. There will always be people who inadvisedly jump way in at the beginning of it and, and sometimes pay the consequences That's the way cultures change. And this is a cultural change that's happening. Technology is changing. They've always evolved. So asking if online connection, community building, or emotional support is a good thing or not is the wrong question. The only real question is how can we make online communication, community building, and emotional support better, safer, and stronger. People need a multitude of ways to find each other. They always have. 
finding ways to make that easier while remaining concerned for making contact safer and healthier is the only real question we have in this social communications world. Amen. I'd like to start to bring the service to the close by inviting you to join in singing hymn number 354, We Laugh, We Cry. 354.
The chalice is extinguished, but its light lives on in the minds and the hearts and the souls of each one of you. So share it with those you know, with those you love, and most especially those you've yet to meet. It is our tradition to join hands and sing, carry the flame of peace and love until we meet again, and then remain for some announcements.